On today's show, it's a trade deadline preview. Do the Cavs need to make a trade? I'm going to say no. We'll talk about that and the Cavs win over the Wizards. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. So go to prizepicks.com backslash locked in NBA and use code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. Thanks again to Jake Stevens. As always, for his work on production, we will get to Cavs Wizards in segment three, but it's NBA trade deadline day, so we're going to preview that, look at that, and Evan, let's just start with the big question here. Do the Cleveland Cavaliers actually need to make a trade before the deadline hits on Thursday afternoon? So my approach has always been um, the Cavaliers are the hottest team in basketball right now. They have won... They've gone on several winning streaks. They're seven in a row now, I think, after this win over the Wizards. Um, they're not flawless. Like They could obviously still use a bigger wing that can play the three or the four, uh, provide perimeter defense, whether it's like not elite but passable and also just serviceable, I think is the better way to say it, and then um, can hit three-pointers as well. But the problem is those are something that every team in the NBA needs, and so it's a premium commodity, and they are few and far between in terms of who is actually quote-unquote available, just because, like I said, a lot of teams could use that no matter what. So Cleveland is already pretty asset-barren to begin with after emptying the clip to get Donovan Mitchell and then working on the margins to get like Max Struess in the uh, trade involving Jetty Osmond and Lamar Stevens in San Antonio. Um, and just, you know, kind of like working very razor-thin things. Even it's trading a first-round pick in 2023 to have... Um, obtain Karis Liver from the Indiana Pacers. So, you know, the bill comes due eventually, but to answer your question, no, like they, they realistically don't need to kind of things up just because like they are gelling at a really good level right now. This new offensive approach is working very well for them, whether it's Darius Garland starting to find his footing just as in terms of playmaking within this new scheme or Evan Mobley, who's been a revelation and I'm sure we'll touch on quite a bit later on in this episode, but no, they really don't. Cause I just don't think you need to, <clears throat> use the few assets you have left, whether that's Isaac Okoro or even Karis LeVert, if you want to get real crazy with it and just kind of disrupt the flow and balance just because you're bringing in a new guy uh, to maybe fit in instead of, you know, just and maybe replicate what you're getting from like Okoro or LeVert or anybody who maybe you trade. Um, and the juice just isn't worth the squeeze. Now, if this team was wondering, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, let's consider a trade to maybe shock some life back into this team. But Right now, no, I, I just don't think it's like it's absolutely necessary unless, you know, something comes across Cleveland's t- desk or Kobe Altman's desk in this case that you at least have to consider. I don't think they need a trade, and I, I don't think it's, frankly, that complicated. I, I think the way this team is playing, I think the style they, they are playing, I think you, and especially when you just consider the asset part of it, I, I don't think there's a, there's a glaring spot that you absolutely have to improve on. 
Are there spots you might like to get another body? For sure. Would you? They, they've been linked to guards and, and been reported as wanting guards, a veteran guard, for a while here. I don't think that's a thing you need because that guy's probably not playing in the playoffs anyway. If Ricky Rubio had stayed this year and come back, I, it's not a lock that guy was necessarily going to be in their rotation. Craig Porter Jr. is not playing right now. Could you? Would you want another wing in theory? Sure, but are are you able to even get someone who is clearly an upgrade on the guys you have? I don't think they have the juice to make that kind of trade. And I think just everything is clicking into place in a real way right now. Everything has ended up in a spot where this team is playing well. All the pieces are fitting in in a real way. You you're you are actually healthy. And unless there is something presents itself where you could get a real game changer, I don't think that there's a need to make a move. And the, the Okora part of it is interesting. We can talk about, we're going to talk about him specifically in segment two. But even that, it's like, I, you know, if you're worried about the cost, okay, sure. But I don't think that's something you need to solve now. I think if you just keep riding what is working here, I, I think that's enough for right now. I don't stri- there's not the pressure on them to make a move in the way there probably is seemingly for Milwaukee or for Phoenix, or for pick a number of other teams that the, there's not that pressure, I don't think, on the Cavs right now. Yeah, and I think the people that are like, oh, Cleveland needs to trade Isaac Okoro so they can still work within the margins of luxury tax. People, I'm just going to be frank with you. Even if you move Isaac Okoro, um, it, it's still going to be pretty razor thin on the margins. If you're the Cavs, you still have to worry about um, Signing Donovan Mitchell to some type of long-term extension to get him to re-up. Uh, Evan Mobley's rookie max extension will kick in eventually. Jared Allen could be extension eligible soon enough. You have to flesh out the rest of this rotation and roster because you do have guys that will be in next year. Um, and that's a problem for the Cavs this summer. I think you're putting the cart in front of the horse here, especially for a guy that's playing very well at Isaac Okoro. And also, Chris and I talked about this off the air, like... If you want to be a serious Eastern Conference contender, especially if you get Donovan Mitchell to re-up, you go into the luxury tax next season. Like, yeah, I understand the approach and the thought process this year. You kind of work within the margins and what you have and maybe kind of feel out um, how you can game the system a little bit with the new uh, luxury tax aprons and stuff like that. But yeah, that's a problem for later. And I just I, I just feel like it's just the, the juice is not worth the squeeze when it comes to trading a Coro. And I just feel like it's just, you know, a foolish endeavor to really think that teams are actively calling Cleveland up. Whereas if people actually read like what Michael Scotto said, like, yeah, he could be of interest to a lot of teams, but it doesn't seem like Cleveland's like open to moving right now. Yeah, I, I mean, even the, the that was not to me like that didn't read as like he is on the market. That read is just yeah, like, OK, it, could this pe- team do something? They're a team of the moment. Let's a, talk about people. Them. Uh, yeah, people took it that out of context and thought that the Cavs were shopping at Coro. It's just, you know, the general consensus. I'm like, eh, people, if you, if you read it, no, it's just like, yeah, if, if people are going to inquire for the teams that are kind of in a little bit of a clunky spot right now and see if like, oh, can we get this young 3 and D wing that is on the final year of his contract and we're going to pay him $14 million a year? I would say if you're Cleveland, like, yeah, you just foot the bill this summer or you figure it out this summer instead of just worrying about it in February when things are clicking very well and Okoro has become a very key piece for you off the bat. Yeah, the last two things I think we can say here is, number one, you have someone like Sam Merrill even right now who is have who can have a real impact. He has not played more than 20 minutes in a game since the team got fully healthy. You already have kind of a jam of minutes, so where are you necessarily getting someone who's going to come and eat up a bunch of minutes? Secondly, the luxury tax thing is, I think, certainly a fair thing for this year. But if you look ahead to next year, like you said, we talked about this off air. 
okay, next year, at a certain point, you're just going to have to pay it. I understand, but I do understand for this year, when you're coming off of what happened last year, not necessarily being like, let's, let's just pay that now and start. Because once you, once you go down that path and once you trigger that, you are going to start just racking up things. I saw that there's a graphic that ESPN hit up about the Warriors where they, they're getting close to a billion dollars with a B in luxury tax payments. Once you go down that path, you have to kind of see it out at a certain point. And if you're a team like Cleveland that is small market that doesn't have the same revenue some other teams do, you don't understand what's going on with the TV stuff. I understand just from like a business perspective, holding off on that. It's not a fun answer, but I think at a certain point, you do just have to jump in that way. But if you don't want to do it this year to hold off on that clock and, and get more data on this team and, and probably the, the finances, that to me is more than reasonable. I agree. But... Dan Gilbert was more than comfortable footing the bill luxury tax wise when this team was legitimate contender. And yeah. And if they are, we're, we're high, we're high in their supply right now just because they've been playing so well. We'll see how it goes in the postseason. but if they make like a serious playoff run this late spring, maybe early summer, if it goes that far for them. Um, and if, especially if you get Donovan Mitchell to re up and like you have your quote unquote core, like locked and loaded and ready to go for the foreseeable future. Yeah, the twentieth richest man in the world can foot the bill, and like you said, you ride it out at that point. The Warriors stuff is fascinating because it's a combination of not letting go of their veterans, like the Clay Thompson discourse is interesting to me, or like the Draymond Green stuff too may have run its course too. But like you have to ride this out too because like there are optics behind it because you have to have like a justifiable reason to, at least like you know from fans and marketing stuff to move on from a franchise cornerstone like that, but. More than that, I don't know. The, the Cavs have done it before. They've done this song and dance. It does tap you out for a few years, and then you repeat, reload, and find your way back up there. But the, the Cavs are at an interesting crossroad, and I, I, I'm of the mentality. Uh, there's no more hand-wringing when it comes to financial stuff. And, like, yeah, I agree with you. Like, having more data and more time to do this to maybe make the decision over the summer is a much better move instead of just trying to rush and find the salary that gets you out of a coro but you'll never get that same level of production i'd say just in terms of just how comfortable a coro is right after this let's talk about a specifically what should they do with him where he's at he made a couple i think high level winning basketball plays against the wizards we'll talk about him and if there's any name you would if you could make a deal if you could pick out any name from a hat and and grab them who would you want to grab based on who is actually on the market we'll talk about that after this Today's episode is brought to you by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. The 2024 Nissan Rogue is perfect for city drivers and great escapes. It has class-exclusive Google built in your car. It's always updating your system to call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system. They also have the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, which has room for up to eight and expansive cargo capacity and advanced available 4x4 capability. It also has 284 horsepower and up to 6,000 pounds of towing. So when Adventure calls the Pathfinder, is there 
to answer. Take the Nissan Rogue, the Nissan Pathfinder, or the Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. That is NissanUSA.com. All right, Isaac Okoro, Evan, to me, has just become untradeable because I think this is a 16-game player. I think you saw spurts of this last year. And even if you want to say, okay, does he shoot it well enough? Do teams totally respect him? I think we are getting there. And even just his processing to me on offense, on top of his defense, has gotten to a place where I feel very comfortable with that guy as a player. He had a play in this game, the one I teased at the end of segment one, where he drives. He is going slow enough where he can actually make a decision, yet fast enough to make the defense react to him. He's off one foot. He makes a pass. Jared Allen gets a dunk. Isaac Okoro has just straight up improved this year. This is legit just a guy that I feel good with now. If he gets $14 million in the summer, just pay him $14 million. I think he's going to be worth that contract. This is a good basketball player, and I, I, I can't see a real argument for even really looking at a trade for him right now. I, I just can't see it. Yeah, I, I just don't see a realistic trader path um, unless like Cavs are getting like legitimate upgrade where it's a guy that can provide the sameness point of attack defense, but more three point shooting and volume. But to your point, like what he has given the Cavs, he is a 16 game player. Uh, he can play reliably. He's become consistent. I think the fact that like J.B. Bickerstaff noted this last season um, and it feels more evident this year like they're they're letting a core not play inside of a box i think the Cavs playing faster helps a lot too just because a is such a quick player and he's so physical and he's very comfortable getting out on the fast break and being a guy who's streaking towards the basket to get a either an easy layup dunk or a trip to the free throw line and we're just seeing him play with a lot of confidence and a lot of swagger and i think the fact sure he's not starting games and i know fans are like oh he should start over max trues xyz but like more often than not, he's especially with Garland on a minute restriction right now, like he's still going to be closing games most nights. And I think just because like he's so invaluable as a point of attack defender. And I think the fact that he reads opposing offenses so well and is so sound defensively in his fourth season and like just understands offensive concepts that he can play super aggressive and super physically, but he doesn't get into like serious, serious foul trouble most nights. Like, in this game against the Wizards, he had one personal foul. Um, and just like versus like maybe his rookie or sophomore season, um, you'd see him getting into foul trouble more often than not. Like he's starting to find consistency and rhythm and flow. And the fact that like he's playing so well and the Cavs do have that luxury of strength in numbers, like even if he doesn't have it, like they can lean on other guys. But Okoro has a skill set that's just invaluable to this team, and also like they just don't have another player that can defend that well on the perimeter or at the point of attack like he can. Moving on to dream trade targets. Evan, let's just say you, the Cavs do make a trade or we're able to get someone. Think about all the names that we've heard about on the market right now. Is there anyone to you that you would say, okay, if you could actually get this guy, you have the pieces to get it done, that you would be really interested in, in getting if you're Cleveland, if they actually could get something done and, it, and whatever it would cost? I mean, if the money was realistic, if they were able to get Larry Markkinen, that would be okay. But good. that okay, no, let's okay. let's 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 go a little more grounded. Like that is like okay. that is like upper echelon. Like you're trading the heaven and let, let's like, think about the guys who are actually on on the market: Dorian Finney-Smith, Caruso, Roy Sony. Like pick that kind of guy, not okay. Larry Markkinen. Oh, then Alex Caruso. Then just because we had touched on the need for like a backup point guard. I think Caruso is unique in the fact that he is similar to Okoro, where he is a multi-positional defender. I think he would be 
really fun in J.P. Bickerstaff's defensive schemes and concepts. I think he could be a nice guy that can play alongside either Garland or Mitchell or with both of them, just because I think Caruso at least has some size to play the three in smaller lineups that they, the Cavs needed him to. But the asking price is just too much. It's been reported that maybe the Bulls are asking more than what is realistically expected. And then people are saying that the Bulls may not do anything now and just kind of run this, run the course and hopefully get healthy, even though Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball are done for the year. But yeah, Caruso would be like your ideal pickup. Then after that, probably Dorian Finney-Smith and then like Royce O'Neal after that. Like in terms of just ranking those three players, like Caruso would be like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense for Cleveland because he can give you a lot of multi-positional stuff and he's just a grinder on defense. The names that are out there to me that would, would make sense, Caruso would be one. I think he is... Someone that could give you defense. He maybe doesn't shoot it enough, but you could figure it out with him because you have all these other guys. That's just, I think, a, a winning player. Uh, I, I'd be all in on him. I think Finney Smith would be my number two. That's a big wing. I mean, if you told me you had him instead of Niang, like, I would probably think that's an upgrade to him instead of Wade. I think that's an upgrade for your rotation. It gives you a, a not a, the highest level defensive player, but a really dependable guy that you have under contract that a sub-mid-level exception number for a couple of years Mm-hmm. There's also there are some names that I don't particularly hate. Kind of on deeper, if you get into like John Conchar is the name that could get moved. I think if it's like t- like Ty Jerome or Damian Jones in some seconds for for him, that's yeah. at least giving you some depth. Like I'm cool with that kind of move. I think that's all you would really need to do. I think anything above that is a little bit dicey. Like Tyus Jones would be cool, but Caruso DFS would be the names. Those are also the premium role guys on the market but that i mean that that's the kind of piece you would really need to to fit whatever this puzzle is going to be those are guys that i think if you added them to what is working right now they don't they don't make you readjust anything they just come in and are, and are really added to it. yeah john conchar is a good shout i think no he's not having the i mean the grizzlies are just having a bad season across the board so maybe some of the darling entry that came with conchar that we talked about you've talked about in last year and i'm like who the heck's john conchar then i gotten acquainted with his game i'm like shack like i wasn't familiar with your game blah 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 um just thinking of the wizards like you had mentioned tyus jones um he's clearly not going to minnesota now that the pistons agreed to that trade to send um morris to the timberwolves instead and i think the asking price is going to scare some teams off when it comes to jones but other guys that would be fun, like if the Cavs could make the money work and had the assets, like Bruce Brown would be a lot of fun for this team. Like I think that's just like a, uh, most teams that are contending, like if they took a look, look, good, hard, long look at Bruce Brown, they'd be like, yeah, that's a dude that could move the needle for us quite a bit, especially if like he, he get a little bit of that juice that you got what he was doing with the championship nuggets or even when he was playing like small ball four slash, you know, starting at the four for the Brooklyn Nets. Like he is an interesting player to me. Um, you had just mentioned we were uh, Tyus Jones, but like the Wizards, like you look at that, like maybe if you're somehow able to take a stab at like Denny Avia or even Corey Kispert, who torched the Cavs off the bench tonight for Washington, but like maybe the asking price is too high. Like those guys would be fun. Um, Sadiq Bay is having a very bad year shooting wise, but like that stinks. You're, stinks, stinks. You're out on him, and you got to pay him. You got to also he he is in the same situation Okoro is where he's heading into restricted free agency. So you trade for that guy, you're paying him. I want to pay Isaac Okoro. I do not want to be the team that is paying Sadiq Bey his next contract. Just, no, I'm out. I'm good. What about, what about De- speaking in the, s- staying in Atlanta, uh, 
in or out on the idea of DeAndre Hunter on the Cavs. At that price, I'm out. I, I think Same. certainly someone's going to try to rebuild him, but I just don't think he's been that good. I think part of the thing with Atlanta and why they're disappointing is a lot of those guys just aren't as good as they hope. It's that yeah, simple. Well, they operated like a 2K franchise and just flipped everything at once. Like, makes you think, uh, man, Kevin Herter would be fun in Atlanta. And also, I think, you know, the uh, DeJounte Murray trade falling flat on its face just doesn't help either. But yeah, I, we, we, we touched on it in the first segment. I, I don't think the Cavs are going to be like actively looking to make a deal. I think they're going to be aggressive and just try to see like what does the market have available for them to make an upgrade on the margins. Like you, you hit the nail on the head. Like Ty Jerome hasn't given you anything since the home opening loss of the Thunder. Damian Jones has looked better at times when he has played short minutes the Cavs recently, but the Cavs have been a team that have been operating without three guys actively playing for them between Rubio, Jerome, and um, Jones. And if you can maybe cobble those salaries together, maybe some financial stuff or space stuff too to like bring in like Craig Porter Jr. on a regular contract just to satiate the 14-player knee. Like, yeah, I think you're looking for moves like that. But also, if the Cavs don't make a trade and then they look at the buyout market instead, also would not surprise me. I, th- I could see a small... It's going to either be a small move by a market. We'll see what happens with Craig Porter Jr. as well, but we'll see what else happens NBA-wide. Well, at Locked On, by the way, we'll have a whole NBA trade deadline show. The NBA trade deadline is here. Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have a live reaction Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can subscribe to Locked On Fantasy Basketball on YouTube today so you don't miss Josh Lloyd breaking down every NBA trade with analysis and insight you can only get from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, after this, Cavs-Wizards, is the Evan Mobley leap happening? Is it time to, to get concerned about Darius Garland? We'll talk about that. And Donovan Mitchell, again, just being stupendous after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest DFS platform that is daily fantasy sports in North America. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It is just you against the numbers. Basketball season is here, so they have combo projections across football and basketball from their specials league. Last chance to do that will be on Sunday for the big game. And you can also play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like the rapper Meek Mill and the comedian Andrew Schultz. You can now find the community plays under the promo tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Go to prizepicks.com backslash locked.nba. And use our code LOCKEDINNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That is prizepicks.com backslash LOCKEDINNBA. Code all lowercase LOCKEDINNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Prizepicks. Daily fantasy sports made easy terms and conditions apply. All right, Cleveland beats the Wizards. Yet another win for Cleveland Evan, let's start with Donovan Mitchell, who I, I just found this stat that the broadcast had astounding. He already has eight more, seven or eight more, I don't remember which is this one, but he already, in much fewer games, he has more 40-plus point games than Kyrie Irving had, and it's just he's behind LeBron James. It's kind of just astounding how big of an impact and how big of numbers Mitchell has put up in a season and a half at this point. 
yeah it's it's crazy like we i i've touched on this a lot and so have you like we weren't staying up to watch all 82 games well and donovan no, Mitchell and Utah i was guys. watching 82 but i i i i he was so good in utah and yet i don't think i understood how good he was until he got here and you see there's something about seeing him up close there's something about seeing a guy whether whether it is someone who comes to your team you see them come through your city and you get to go watch them there's something to me that unlocks in my brain when I see someone up close and watching Mitchell in person a lot, I think has raised my appreciation of what he is. I was also a certified jazz hater at the time. Like um, I was a Rudy Gobert hater who I'm glad he's doing well in Minnesota now, just, but like the, the screen assist stuff and just the general weirdness of some jazz fans, like foaming at the mouth, defending this team and then watching them flame out every year. was just like a little much for me, but yeah, I would tune in if he was like on the national broadcast or like if obviously when they played the Cavs, I'd pay attention to. But um, yeah, it really crystallizes just how dynamic he's been from the moment he's gotten here. Like he's, even though the public consensus still seemingly is that he is not long for Cleveland and it has his eyes and heart set on New York, he is certainly playing like a dude that is locked into this team. And I think that's obviously refreshing if you're the Cavs, if you get a guy who you took a gamble on, but like is committed to you. But like, yeah, that 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 statistic really crystallizes how dominant he's been offensively. And I'll be frank, I doubt like anyone ever catches LeBron on any of these franchise records. No. But like the fact that like he is leapfrogging so many players and you know is kind of on a hill of his own at this point, uh, you know, next to Mount LeBron, but like continues to just get better and better and better and just like never seemingly cools off. It, it's just it's fun to watch. Like he is an exhilarating player. Uh, obviously, the 71-point game is like the, the apex of it, but like he's had so many plays. There's so many moments where you're like, this guy just doesn't quit. Like He's just hardwired and wants to win and um, will do anything possible with his gish athletic gifts to uh, ensure that it, it happens. Let's go on to Evan Mobley, who Evan, I just think, had another outstanding game. He is The way he is playing since he has come back from injury even with the other night where he didn't, he wasn't quite as efficient as you would like. This guy is having a the look of the leap that I wanted. He was behind Mitchell to me, the second best player on the floor in this game for Cleveland. Had a 22-8 night, 9-10 from the field, 2-2 two, two from three. Was, was a menace at the rim in a lot of moments as well. Again, we got to see it sustained. Let's see how it continues in the All-Star break and post and into the playoffs, but... Mobley has come back and has just played at a level you absolutely love to see if you're if you're Cleveland, and it's the kind of level I think I at least thought he was going to come out of the gate playing at this year. I'm just more surprised he's been this dominant um, in the wake of having arthroscopic knee surgery. Like the fact that he attacked the recovery the way he did, the fact that he. John Michael shared this during the broadcast, but like pretty much more or less just worked on his three point shot and just adding that to his arsenal um, while recovering is like, you can really tell like he is reading and reacting to what the opposing defenses are doing to him. Like in the recent win on Monday against Sacramento, like he didn't take any threes, but he was reading and reacting to the defense. But you're seeing a dude who's just like clearly not in the rust and shakes of like than of having to go with knee surgery and he admitted like it was surprising to him that like even though he was in shape like he needed to be in game shape but like he is a robot in the sense where like if there's a 
difficulty or trial against him, he will download process and then figure out what he needs to do in order to not let it be a weakness. And just for me, again, like it is astonishing to see how dominant he is right out the gate in the wake of having knee surgery and is just not cooling off. Like I, I will say that the Cavs only go as far as Donovan Mitchell can take them offensively some nights, but like if Mobley is going to continue to play like this, and as you said, like let's see how the rest of the season goes in the playoffs, of course, too. But if Mobley is playing at this level, like it's going to quickly shift to like it, this team will only go as far as Evan Mobley's skill set allows him to carry this team because like he's just got his finger on the pulse everywhere. He is an elite two way big man, and the shot uh, becoming more of a thing is fun. Uh, JB Bickerstaff that alluded to it the broadcast said this as well like the goal is maybe to get like four or five a game when Mobley's out of his minute restriction and everything but this uh th- this is fun and I think you know this is the this is the next phase in his game and I'm excited to see how far this goes until like maybe we start to see the glimmers of the next level up any concern over the way Darius Garland has played for you Evan he had another I think game where he was aggressive Robbed. and trying to do stuff but robbed yeah he was he passed austin carr for ninth all time in assists and then the people in secaucus took one of the assists away oh, yeah. so he and austin carr are still tied at least the next less than 20 or so hours of when we're recording this um, yeah so but like to answer your question no i'm not concerned i know people are talking about benching him or like letting him come off the bench but he i he told me this after his first game back against Detroit and he lost 12 pounds of weight because he wasn't able to eat real food for over a month. And um, he's trying to gain his weight back. So he physically feels comfortable out there. Um, I think he is trying to get more comfortable without playing without the ball in his hands. And I think that is going to be a, a learning process no matter what, especially because just because Mitchell's so red hot, why wouldn't you let the ball be in Mitchell's hands more often than not? And also, he just Garland like Mobley has to kind of get back into that in-game shape so he can handle 30 plus minutes a night. I know he played almost 29 in this game against Washington, but I'm not too overly concerned. Um, talent's talent. It, it finds its way back out there eventually. And Garland um, is showing signs of fitting in. It's just, it's still going to take a little bit of time to kind of fully process it all. And like, Hey, he's not gun shy. He took five threes tonight and he was four or 12 from the floor. So it's not like he's not shooting it or trying to, find his rhythm and cadence yeah it just it feels like his return is going to take more time than Mobley's I think he's had just a a funky year more than anything else I you know he was I don't think he was very good to start the year throwing the ball over a lot at a a higher rate than you have ever seen from him to me he looked like he got into more of a rhythm about two weeks or so before he gets hurt then he breaks his jaw then he loses the 12 pounds Everything has just been weird for him, and I certainly don't love everything we've seen from him so far, but I think he, compared to Mobley, he just looks more rusty, and maybe the, maybe mm-hmm. the injury is, I think, part of that. I But I, I think the aggression's there. I mean, the, the one three hit in this game was a nice sidestep pull-up three that him taking a... He's taken, like, one of those every game since he's come back. That's the kind of shot I think you want from Garland. So that's that's positive. There's positive signs. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he should be benched. I think that's... If you're debating 
or question, like wondering like if he should be in the starting lineup, I think you're, or the closing lineup, excuse me, you're just being unfair to him and unreasonable and just doing clickbait nonsense or video yeah. nonsense. Like that's what you're doing. But do, does he need to be better than he is right now? A hundred percent. He's not at the level you need him to be at, but that, that makes some sense. The question is how fast can you get him up to speed and where is he, let's say at at the all-star break come next week? Yeah, I think the all-star break is going to be really beneficial because there's one there's gonna be a lot of footage for him to work i wonder how he tackles it like is it gonna be a lot of rest recovery and getting back into weight the proper playing weight and shape just because like you said there is clearly a lot of rust in the trickiness is is like the calves were constantly monitoring his heart rate while his jaw jaw was wired shut to make sure like he wasn't overexerting himself so like he was probably a lot further behind compared to mobley who was off of his crutches much sooner than expected and was kind of progressing and ramping up much sooner than expected. Of course, you know, his knee uh, being a limitation. Whereas for Garland, like he was wired shut for five ish weeks or so, got the wire out as soon as they came back from Paris. And then now can like start ramping back up his production. Like he said, there's going to be the rust already, but like it's going to take time. And I am curious to see like, how does he tackle or do the Cavs put a plan in place for him to tackle the all-star break so that, he can kind of keep ramping it up and get him going on the fly because it's just it's the hard part of the NBA season. They don't have a lot of practices anymore. Um, a lot of it now is just rest recovery and film study. If they do practice, maybe with some light drills and scrimmaging. But yeah, it's going to be a process, and it's been a frustrating year for Garland. And But I, I don't know. I, I'm a firm believer that he can turn this around pretty quickly, um, whether it's on its own or it's a collective effort. It could be a combination of both. We're going to end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerol. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always. What we're going to do tomorrow, uh, look on our socials, Time TBD. We're going to go live after the deadline, and then we'll have a recap up specifically of Cavs, Nets as well, to cover everything at deadline, whether it's Cavs or not. It feels like a quiet one for the Cavs. We'll talk about the league and, and where this, how this affects the Cavs and the standings. Then we'll have you covered for Cavs, Nets, and we'll see if Cleveland can win a 16th game in 17 tries and keep the win streak rolling until then have a great rest of your day enjoy the basketball enjoy 